By my count, our three minutes have come to an end. So I'm going to ask us to take our seats, and we will uh, go ahead and, and get started here. I think I've worked this. We'll see. Sometimes it doesn't happen like I planned. But I think I've worked this so that we will have a good amount of time for discussion, uh, either at the end or, or uh, in the midst of. So if, if we go through some things, you see some things up on the PowerPoint um, that you have comments or questions about, don't hesitate to, to jump in. We've, I've tried to build in some time for that. I really enjoyed the discussion last week over chapter one. So uh, let me pray for us, and we will, we will get back into our study here this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we are all here by your permission, uh, by, by your direction. Uh, none of us would have gotten out of bed this morning uh, apart from your work, your goodness. We, we owe everything to you. We depend on you uh, every second of every day for everything. Uh, and that means that, that our, uh, our ability to be here this morning to uh, worship together uh, by transforming our minds, by singing with one another and to one another, to you, um, praying together, submitting to your word together. This is all, um, not, not only is it for your glory, it is by your power. And so we thank you, Lord, for this honor uh, that we have to be able to belong to a body of believers, to desire to be here, uh, and to have the ability to praise your name. Thank you, Lord. As we continue on in this study for, for Adult Sunday School, we ask your blessing on us. Help us to be alert and able to, to think carefully about what we see, not just in this chapter, but to the extent that it, it is pointing us to your word. Lord, help us to remember what we are dealing with when we are being confronted with your holy scriptures. And I pray that you would impress it on our minds and hearts, and that where there is need to change and grow, Lord, that you would grant the growth. Uh, And as those things happen, again, we, we thank you. All good things in our life have come to us from you, from your hand. Thank you, Lord. Please bless our children in the back as they are learning, bless their teachers. And um, Lord, we pray that there would be, um, be very significant uh, thoughts and conversations going on there as well. All of this, Lord, we lift up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you see those orange words, what we'll cover up there? Okay, good. Um, we are in chapter two of our study. James kicks kicked things off last week for us. Uh, we're looking at the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow. Now you don't have to see me, and you can see the, you can see the slides. That's even better. Um, this is a book by Paul Tripp. I, I think that the subtitle of the book tells us even more than the title itself does. The subtitle is, just to remind you, uh, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. I really like the way that he, that he put that. that. That by itself makes a few really important points uh, just from, from the outset. It makes the point about, uh, about us, unfortunately, about you and about me, um, people in need of change, helping people in need of change. So here's, here's what this starts us with. Uh, we are all, always, people who are in process, right? People who are in need of growth, people who have weaknesses and display weaknesses, people whose sins have effects in real time in their life, in their family's life. Uh, all of us are described in that way, right? If you are, uh, we don't have any eight-year-olds in here, they're in the back, but, if, but they're eight, so some of you are in your 80s, all of us fit that description. We are people in need of change. Uh, so it makes that point from the beginning. It doesn't let us sort of lie to ourselves about ourselves. Um, and yet, the way that that subtitle finishes, people in need of change, helping people in need of change, the way that the subtitle finishes uh, makes the point very clear to us that God intends in his church, God intends to use us, even in that state, in the lives of others. He has shown us in the Bible no intention of waiting to use you until that first part doesn't describe you anymore. His perfect plan involves using you as a person in need of change to help others who are also uh, in need of change. 
And I'm, I'm helped by that. Uh, I feel like that dispels for us a pretty common stumbling block that we can have when it comes to engaging meaningfully and intentionally with the people that are sitting around us right now. Because do you ever think a thought like, like this? I'm such a mess. Um, how could I possibly think myself to be in a position to give help to someone else? I'm the one that needs help. What, what am I going to do to try to meaningfully be, be an instrument in someone else's life? Isn't that presumptuous of me? Prideful of me to think that I, could, I would be useful uh, as an instrument of God in someone else's life? I'm the one that, uh, that, needs, that needs help. Um, well, yes, that, that's what's so tricky about that kind of a statement is half of it's true, right? You are a bit of a mess, and so am I. Uh, and God's plan is to use you intentionally to be a minister to others. So this is what we're looking through in this book. Again, if you're just coming in, we're, we're just in chapter 2 this week. Um, so you've, you've made it right at the beginning. James kicked us off. Um, and this is the chapter, um, this chapter is called In the Hands of the Redeemer. Um, in this chapter, Tripp lays out pretty early what he calls the overall biblical model. All right? Um, oh boy, I just realized I, what I usually do when I do a PowerPoint is I put stars where I need to click. Well, look, there's no stars on my sheet, so this is interesting. We'll just keep it on there just to be safe. Yeah. Uh, let's see how far, oh good, I haven't even, star- I haven't even missed anything yet. Okay, good. So let me back up. You didn't see that. All right. Um, so here's, here's what he calls the overall biblical model. Uh, he says, God transforms people's lives as people bring his word to others. He says, God never intended us to simply be the objects of his love. We are also called to be his instruments of that love in the lives of others. Again, really helpful clarification. Are you, if you belong to God through Christ, if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross as the only way for sins to be atoned for, are you an object of the love of God? Yes, you are. But he never intended you to only be an object of his love. His intention was that as you become a recipient of his love, that you become an instrument in his hands in the lives of other people. Uh, the question that encompasses really everything we're going to look at this morning uh, is this. Just what does that look like? What does it really look like? I mean, it's, that's... Not language we use that often, except in, in specific church contexts. An instrument of God. Uh, he's going to say later, an instrument of his word. Uh, what does that actually mean? Uh, and what does it not necessarily mean? There are some misconceptions that he's going to try to clear up for us. And we're going to talk about that question from three different angles. So here comes the first slide here. So th- three things we're going to look at going through this chapter. First, we're going to see um, formal versus informal Roles, and again, we're talking within the church, right? Um, church ministry, formal roles versus informal roles. We're going to look at uh, and bring in the biblical language that's used in a lot of places, describing the church as a body. That's a picture that directly is speaking to what we're going to see in this chapter. So we'll look at that. And then third, we'll just deal with the question specifically. What do we really mean when we speak of ourselves as instruments of the word of God. What do we really mean? So that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. First one, first, formal versus informal roles. Uh, Tripp says, clearly, God raises up particular people for formal ministry roles. But the Bible's circle of helpers includes all of God's people. And what he's going to do in this section is really work pretty hard. He spends quite a few pages dealing with this notion that we can have that um, when God intends to work through the church, to minister in the church, what really happens is he gives certain formal offices, and those are the places where ministry happens. And if you're not in those places, your job is to come and sit and be an object of his love, and then to get up and go. And, that's, and he says, that's not at all what the, what the, what how the Bible describes this. Um, do we acknowledge the existence of formal ministry roles? Is that a real thing in the Bible? The answer is yes, right? Very much so. God uh, lays out in pretty explicit detail 
certain offices that he has given that come with real authority, and they come with very specific uh, roles of ministry. Uh, What we have to do, though, if we're going to acknowledge that unique place of formal, you could say formal leadership within the church, formal ministry, uh, we have to do that in accordance with Scripture. We have to be careful that what what I've come to think of in my mind about formal ministry still fits what the Bible described it as. And so let's, we'll look at two places in Ephesians here to just hear the description that's given. These are, these are really helpful. Uh, first one is, is Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Uh, you might if you open your Bibles to, to this because I'm going to... We're just going to look at 11 and 12, but I, I'm going to make reference to 13 through 16 also. But I'm only going to have 11 and 12 up on the, on the screen And I'm going to give it to you in pieces so I can make just the points that I want to make. Ha! So this first is just verse 11 on here. Um, This is speaking of what God has done in equipping the church. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. And let's stop there for a moment. We, We see here real descriptions of formal roles within the church. Everyone was not an apostle when the apostles uh, worked to lay the foundation of the church, Um, the apostles and prophets. Uh, Today we have evangelists. We have people uniquely gifted by God to go out of the church and bring the gospel to people and and bring them in. We have shepherd teachers uh, that are uniquely gifted and called by God within the church to, to, uh, to preach the word of God, to teach, to shepherd. These are formal roles that are commanded, uh, but what we need to be careful of is that we notice the connection between verse 11 and verse 12, all right? So here's the question that's about to get answered in verse 12. Uh, he gave those roles to the church. Why? For what purpose? That's what verse 12 is going to answer, and look at what verse 12 says. I'll start again with verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers... Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's interesting. Who is ministering in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12? Who is it that's doing the work of ministry? (laughs) The saints. This is a, you know by now, this is a description of every believer, the body of Christ. Those ministry roles were given for the purpose of equipping those sitting in the seats, equipping the entire body together to do the work of ministry. Now, certainly those those offices are ministering themselves, and this isn't the only thing the Bible says about this stuff, right? Where is, do you see elders in this passage? Do you see deacons in this passage? Those are are real uh, official roles God's given to the church. They're not mentioned here. There's more to this whole topic than just Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And elsewhere in Scripture, there are very clear and specific ways that those groups are told to minister that apply directly to them. And yet, we have this description here. These offices are given to the church to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And what is, it that, what is the ministry that they're being equipped for? I think I had that on here. Yeah. Um, End of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, uh, and one translation says, unto the, an older one, that unto the building up of the body. The ministry is the ministry of building up the body of Christ. That is a role that is given to every Christian in God's church. And I don't, I, like I said, we'll just stop there on the slide, but um, if you keep looking down, you, you can notice some more details that are added. In terms of the calling on every member of the body in verses 13 through 16. Uh, Verse 13, you can see there more of the goal here of this ministry that every believer is called to. When Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, Verse 13 makes clear that the goal of every believer within the body is to bring maturity to the body of Christ. Verse 14, uh, to help each other to be less susceptible to being led astray. 
That is not something that's, that's only a calling on the formal roles that have been given by God. All of us have this calling to each other. Um, verse 15, we are supposed to be intentionally growing up together as we speak the truth to each other in love. Uh, the other place I want to I show you uh, and in Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 5. Here we go. So we have Ephesians 4, we have Ephesians 5. I'll, we'll look at chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. I'm going to put them up on the screen. And then we're going to take the commands from both of these chapters and put them up there all side by side and, and notice some things. All right? But here's what uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. <clears throat> and again, who is Ephesians written to? Remember how it begins? To the saints who are in Ephesus. This is not a letter to the elders of the church. This is a letter to the church. And here's the command, starting in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a lot of one another's there as well, right? So let's put the commands uh, up here together. Let's see how I did this. Good. So here's the commands that we have just read. We have all, all right, um, you have been commanded as a member of the body of Christ. You have been commanded to build up the body of Christ. Uh, this first piece here is out of Ephesians 4. You've been commanded to help one another uh, to become mature. Uh, you have been commanded to be grown up in your faith uh, and therefore less susceptible to being led astray. Not, not, not a responsibility that does not rest on the shoulders of the leadership of the church, but a responsibility that does not rest solely on their shoulders. It's something given to you as well. For yourself and as you live and interact with uh, your brothers and sisters in the body. Um, you have been commanded, moving now to the Ephesians 5. Uh, and this is my paraphrase of uh, when he says, address one another in psalms and hymns. Have you ever wondered about that? Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm convinced what he's, what he's talking about there is what I've put here. We're, we're being commanded to weave together in a common church culture that is centered around the celebration of God's truth. Singing, what we sing, who we sing with, that is a cultural marker of identification. That sort of thing is what you do with a family when you get together at Christmas. It's what you do with people that, that uh, you, have, you have decided we belong to each other. The things that we sing, we are singing to God, but we are also singing them to each other. We're supposed to be, this is a reflection of our common confession together. And we're commanded to do that. We're commanded to weave our lives together. Uh, we're commanded to cultivate thankfulness at the end of that passage. And we're commanded to submit to one another. Now that's interesting. Usually when we think of submit in the context of scripture, we only think about the command that is there and is real to submit to your elders, right? Uh, submit to your elders. Uh, they have been appointed by God to watch over your souls. They will give an account for how they have shepherded. Submit to their authority. Uh, and do not make them to, to, uh, to shepherd begrudgingly. Make it a joy to them. Right? The way we think of that. But here, we're told to submit to one another. What, does, what might that look like? What do you think? This may be a dangerous question to just throw out there, but... Uh, if you feel confident in an answer, you can, you can share your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's tricky because it's the sort of thing that is so easy to abuse, and we see abuses. Um, but I, I hear this, and I think this is the polar opposite of the autonomous culture that we have all been swimming in since the day that we were born. 
this is the polar opposite of the notion, right? that someone would see you and, and think they could help you in any way, and they come to you and you say what everyone says today, excuse me, um, what business is it of yours? Uh, who do you think you are? Or you have that mentality, right? I'm living my life here. You're, not, you're outside of my life. Um, you can talk in generalities, but don't talk to me about me. Who, who do you think you are? This, I think, is the opposite of that. We're told to think of one another as a family, as a body that has been built, that's being built together. So we know the Holy Spirit is at work in one another, giving insight. Uh, we're all growing. And we need each other. So when someone comes to me, I need to be prepared to... Um, they are not, it's not a master-servant relationship or anything like that, right? But I should care if someone comes to me in concern or with a thought. I want to be... I want to be willing to receive that and to chew on it and to say, you know, thanks. I hadn't thought about it like that. Let me, let, me, let me think about that. But I really appreciate you care. You see what I mean? Submit to one another. Um, these are commands that the Bible has given to every one of us. Now, what it makes me wonder... Um, let's say someone goes from not knowing that this is their obligation before God as a Christian. Someone goes from not knowing that to knowing it. Right? They read it, they understand it, and, and they buy into it. This is the word of God, after all. Whatever it says to me, my response is yes. Um, so someone goes from not knowing uh, and understanding these commands to knowing them. What sorts of effects do you think that there might be in that person's life? I've got a list here. So we'll see if you can put one, uh, if you can think of one that I've had time to think through. Any, any thoughts? How might that change someone in real time? Uh, yeah. You become others-focused and not self-focused. Okay. Certainly would, would cause me to get my gaze off of my navel and realize, whoa, you mean I'm not here simply for myself? I, I live every day of my life under commands that are others-focused. Yeah, very much so. What else? Might cover some blind spots that we have that we didn't realize we had. When that willingness comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might actually make us susceptible to wisdom. A little porous as wisdom comes my way instead of just instead of uh, hardened. Yeah. Some sense of. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It has to start there. Do you, do you think there could be any uh, breath of freedom and sense of? I'm just more and more convinced all the time that, that so much of just even the emotional kind of cloud that can hang over us so often has come when I have, when I have even unconsciously become completely consumed with myself, with my own problems and my own struggles. And there's, there can be such a freedom of the, the mental busyness of beginning to live and think for other people uh, and, and see myself as really obligated and useful in other people's lives. There's such a, a potential, I think, for, for freedom and for, for, some, uh, for some escape from oppression. Um, here's some other ones that I put down. Um, how about, and I was just thinking here in terms of church service contexts. Um, how about a new sense of buy-in or urgency uh, when it comes to listening to a sermon preached. Uh, This would completely change what I think is happening as I'm sitting there hearing God's word. I would would, uh, suddenly realize, oh, for goodness sakes, what's been happening all this time has been God has been using, it's been Ephesians 4, God's been using his, uh, his ministers given formally to the church and as he's talking, what's supposed to be happening is I'm supposed to be sitting here becoming equipped for the, for the work of ministry. 
I'm supposed to hear this, think about it, realize, you know, grow in my, in my, uh, my, my biblical worldview and take that and be an impact on those around me. Something's actually supposed to be happening here. I'm not just supposed to be listening and finding it interesting and then going to lunch. And if there's real obligation there, that means there's real accountability there. I might actually be, this might actually suggest that I'm going to be held accountable for what I did with God's word as it was given to me week in and week out. New sense of urgency there when I realize that there is skin in the game here for me. New sense of urgency, buy-in when I am on my own reading scripture. I mean, gone with this, gone is the notion that I'm checking off a to-do list. As God's given me his scriptures through the apostles and prophets, they were, they were part of that list, right? As God's given me his scriptures and I am reading them, what is happening is I'm becoming equipped for the work of ministry. There's supposed to be an outflowing that comes as a result of me um, being equipped. What happens to someone who is, I think of all the ways that we're equipped. Every time I eat food, I'm equipped, Right? What happens to someone who just eats food and eats food and eats food and that energy never translates into external action? Is that a healthy situation? It's the same picture, right, that the Bible uses to talk of someone who only grows in knowledge. They become puffed up in their mind and in their thinking. It's not a healthy situation. It's a bloating, a mental bloating, and apparently it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be bloated. Uh, every time I go to church, you can interpret that how you, how you want. That wasn't in my notes, actually. The word bloated is not in here at all. I don't know how it got on that. Um, new sense of urgency and buy-in in other opportunities. Any opportunity that, the, that God's church sets up as a means that we now see, a means of, of uh, preparing us to be ministers to others. So what we're doing right now is an example of this. Adult Sunday school. Um, we come, we learn. Uh, the church prayer meeting that happens once a month, this is a time where we can actually be aware of what's going on in the lives of the people around us. We can obey God's command to not just pray by ourselves, but to pray as a church, that this would be a praying church. We talked about that this last week when we, when we had that. Those are such sweet times. Sitting in that room right there, just, just hearing each other pour out our hearts to the Lord for other people. It is it's such, a, it's such a sweet thing to be a part of. Um, you get the sense of us kind of joining hands together in life. I mean, that's what I see in all of this. All of these things start to look less and less like a list of activities to add to my busy life, and more and more like a set of carefully chosen opportunities that have been provided by God's church to help me fulfill my God-given duty. The commands are there. They're mine, regardless of what I do with all of the means of equipping that he has given. The less equipping I I, uh, receive, the less equipped I am to do it. But the command's still there. None of that changes the command. So all of those things are just more and more opportunities for me to be equipped to do what I will be accountable to God for one day. Now, into that picture, let's uh, add, look at that, check for number one. Let's add uh, this biblical language, what the Bible says about the church as a body. And I, my, my hope is, I think that as we go through each of these, it's going to clarify some things for us about the, the main question. What is this really supposed to look like? Um, so, church as body. You remember that the Bible repeatedly portrays the working of God's Spirit among His people in terms of a body functioning, right? There's, there's a book I was looking at this week by Robert Thomas called Understanding Spiritual Gifts. Um, I, was just, I hadn't, hadn't gone back to that in a while, but he, he um, basically lays out our understanding of spiritual gifts like, like it typically is. I mean, he, he talks about gifts that have been given to the church in its infancy stage, and the establishment of Scripture, and then the gifts that continue in ex- to be in existence today. And he puts those in two groups. Uh, he talks about uh, what we refer to as speaking gifts. So the Bible speaks of the gift of evangelism, the gift of teaching, the gift of 
pastor teaching, which is a, a different uh, category altogether, the gift of exhortation. Those are gifts that we, we use with our mouths, right? And that's the whole category of spiritual gifts. It's not the only gifts that the Bible tells us God has gifted his people with through the Holy Spirit. There's another group of gifts that we call auxiliary gifts or, or, gifts, or, or uh, gifts of service, gifts of help. Um, in fact, one of them is explicitly called in the Bible the gift of helps. Another is the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, or the gift of generosity. That's described in the Bible as a unique spiritual gift given to some and not to others. Uh, the gift of governing, the gift of administration. That's another one. You're familiar with, you've heard these gifts described in, in, in the Bible as you've read. Um, and we'll see here in a minute. Th- what the Bible says about these things is that we are gifted differently. We're not all gifted in the same ways, to the same degrees uh, in each category. We're different. So here's a question then. All right, and we're, we're going to put this into what we've said about formal and informal. Um, the question is this. Given the commands... Uh, Given these commands, we're all commanded to be actively ministering to each other. Ministers of the word, as we'll see. Given those commands. Okay. Um, How does this statement fit in? I hope you'd agree with this statement. Uh, We are not all mouths in the body of Christ. We're not all mouths. That's a... Another way to say, we're, everyone has not received these gifts, these speaking gifts. We're not all teachers. We're not all evangelists. We're not all exhorters in this sort of way that it seems like God uniquely uses us in a, in a way that blesses others. Um, so how does that fit with those commands? Well, I think what that shows us is that it shows us the breadth of what we should mean when we think of the word ministry. It shows us that ministering... Serving one another in those specific ways of Ephesians 4 and 5 will not always look like sharing verbal wisdom. There are other ways that that can look. Um, And there are two sides of of a coin here. The first is that where we have been gifted, we must be intentional and active in in our giftedness. Would you agree with that? It's not enough that God gifts some You can probably think of people you know who are very gifted in certain ways and are also very lazy. What what exactly does that do for the people around them? It doesn't do much, right? So here's one side of the coin. We must be intentional to be active where we have been gifted. And I want to show you that from Romans chapter 12. This is the one I'm going to... I have one long quote of scripture and I have one long quote from the chapter and everything else is short. I tried to not... Fill the screen with words this week. But this is the long scripture quote. This is, this is only half of it. We're going to go through 18. Ha. So, but can I ask you to do this? I want to just read this. Would you look with me and th- listen to what he says? I'm going to read kind of slowly, okay? Listen to the argument he's making here. Ephesians chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. What do you mean? What am I judging soberly? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another has to be the sort of thing we just read in Ephesians. The accountability to each other. The the giftedness toward each other. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ... (coughs) Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then notice that the, the emphasis here is on using the gifts that God has given to you. Being intentional in those areas. Let us use them. If prophecy, in in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. There's the giftedness of 
of giving, of generosity. Uh, the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. <clears throat> Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I wanted us to read through 18 just to see these, the, how, how many of these commands are speaking toward zeal, intentionality, in exactly what we're talking about this morning. We are commanded to take seriously the responsibility that he's given us to each other. Uh, but mainly, we, we, we want, for this morning, we want to see this listing of these gifts. And you notice that he lists them after he, right after he says that we're not all gifted in the same ways. These are things that some of us have in greater measure than others in different areas. And the point is where you have been gifted, where you find that as you serve and as you love others in this particular way, God tends to really use it. As you identify that, be intentional in that. Now, to me, I think this is really good news for us and is very encouraging in a specific way. And that, because this means that a lot of your usefulness as an instrument in the hands of God um, is going to take on a form that you have been gifted for. Who likes um, working in a realm where you do not feel equipped? Isn't that just the worst? To be needing to do, you're doing something that has to be done, but you know this is not your, this is not your, your it's awkward, it feels maybe unnatural, it, it, you know others could be doing it better. That's not, um, you don't just feel really encouraged in that. This tells us that the place principally that God's going to use you is in the very place that he has gifted you uniquely. That's really empowering. And it reminds us, I don't have to feel like I need to be everything for everyone. Uh, God's called me to a certain path of life that will involve my labor in the lives of others. And he's, I'm going, to, he's going to bless those efforts. So I think that's very encouraging. So yes, it is true. We are not all mouths in the body of Christ. Ministry, real uh, ministry of the word will look like a number of different things. But here's the other side of that coin. We are all commanded to use our mouths intentionally too. I may not have been gifted with, a, with what we would, would think of as a speaking gift, but I, I have commands from the Lord to me to speak with intentionality. Um, gifted with speaking gifts or not, we all minister to each other through speech. I think we saw that a little bit last week. You simply can't help it. Every time you say anything to anybody, you are ministering them in one way or another. You are encouraging them towards something. And without intentional thought about what we say, we can do great damage. We simply can't help the fact that we, uh, we are uh, ministers through our speech, even if that's not a unique gifting. Um, yes? And it, it, it reminds us that every bit of fruit that is born through in me, through me, it will all, I will take it all in the end and say, praise be to God. Uh, he, was the, he, was, he was the impetus for every good thing that has, that has ever happened, even as he used me as an instrument. Um, and it shows the sort of thing that's, that's pictured in some parables, too, of 
is some, some will bear fruit 30-fold, some 100-fold. Um, there, there will be differences between us, even in how God chooses to use our gifts. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we can see, though, even in what you said, that the, the, the Lord uses us in these things as we grow in that. So it's, it's the ones who, are, who, who have warmed their heart toward others and have sensed the command and have felt the burden to, to, to serve and who then step out and who then more fruit is born in others as a result. I mean, it, this is not disconnected from our decisions. From our, from our choices and our, our actions. Great thought. Any other thoughts before we... Yeah, Blake? Absolutely. And he ends that by saying, for without me, you can do nothing. That's exactly right. Now, I want to keep... Uh, see if I go one too far again. Good, okay. Um, so being intentional where we are gifted, and then the next headline here says, uh, and faithful where we are not. So this is, uh, what I just said is that we are all called to be intentional with our words, regardless of our, of our gifting. And I just want to point out to you that there are a few places in the Bible where we receive explicit commands toward things that we might not have been uniquely gifted by God uh, in this formal way, the sort of formal roles we began by talking about. Let me give you a few examples. Um, Evangelism. We just read a clear description, it seems to me, that God has given, well, it's what it says, God gave some as evangelists. That means he didn't give all as evangelists. He gave and equipped some uniquely to play this role in a formal sense. Um, What does that mean about the rest of us? I hope we all understand clearly that while we don't all have this sort of gift necessarily, and so when we we obey, we find ourselves in that place I was describing of, I'm I'm nervous, it doesn't feel natural to me, Um, yet we are all commanded to share the gospel. Another one is giving. We don't all have the gift of generosity. That's his whole point in Romans 12. Uh, We are given different gifts, uh, and this is one that appears in that list. And yet, what do we do with that? If I identify that uh, that's not a gift, that that I I sense just great joy, I've been given great opportunity, uh, the Lord does much through my giving that I can see, so what? I, I guess God doesn't really care that I just become utterly selfish and a bit of a hoarder with what God has given me. Is that where we go with, with that? Of course, of course we don't. We understand that we've been commanded to be generous, that it is always good to be generous, even though there are some who would seem to have been given a specific giftedness in that area. We're all commanded. And it's the same with what we're saying here. We don't all have giftings of teaching or exhorting, those sort of gifts of speech, yet all are commanded to be intentionally used by God in speaking out of a biblical worldview. And speaking out of a biblical worldview. Now that leads us right to the third point. Did I do the check mark thing again? Yeah, I did. There we go. That re- leads us right into the, to the third section here. As, we, as, as I bring up this idea of a biblical worldview. Um, what is it going to mean for all of us to be instruments of the word of God? when all of us do not possess the same level of equipping regarding uh, speech and teaching, things like that. James mentioned last week, uh, actually, I may be getting ahead of us. Yeah, I am. Okay. This is the one big quote from the chapter. So this is the only other time there's going to be this much text up on the screen. Okay. Uh, Listen to what Tripp says here at this point, because I thought this was really helpful. He says, many Christians simply don't understand what the Bible is. Many think of it as a spiritual encyclopedia, God's complete catalog of human problems with a complete list of divine answers. And so we tend to offer each other isolated pieces of scripture, a command, a principle, a promise that seem to fit the need of the moment. 
Let me stop for a moment and just make very clear that is usually um, exactly what's needed and terribly helpful and used by God, that someone would come uh, in, your, in, in, a, in a particular moment in your life and remind you of something specific that the Bible says. That is powerful uh, and it's wonderful. What he's, what he's combating is the notion that many have that that's all that this ever looks like to be an instrument of God's work. So James mentioned last week kind of the notion of us thinking this means that I, I need to have that one Bible verse ready and I'm just going around and whenever I see a need then I throw that out there and thinking that's going to solve the problem. That's, that's, what, that's all it means for me to be an instrument of God's word. And he rightly said that's not at all the, the complete picture here. Uh, and Tripp would say if I'm thinking like that, I'm kind of thinking of the Bible like it's an encyclopedia. So look at what he continues with. Uh, This is how scripture differs from an encyclopedia. When I use an encyclopedia, I do not need to read other articles to understand the one I'm reading at the moment. In the Bible, however, every passage is dependent on the whole, and the whole Bible is held together by interdependent themes that run through every passage like rebar, the steel rods that reinforce concrete. Being truly biblical means that my counsel reflects what the entire Bible is about. The Bible is a narrative, a story of redemption, and its chief character is Jesus Christ. So this is what he's going to put forward, um, and I think there's a lot of usefulness in in the way he's going to paint this picture. He's going to say what it means for us fundamentally to be instruments of his word is that we are people who see everything through the lens of a solidly biblical worldview. And the result is that the themes that run throughout the scriptures become the themes that I see everything else through, and they're the themes that are, that are filtering my words. Right? So I might not respond with a specific memorized passage, but I have become someone who, when I respond, I respond in a way that has taken into account the themes of Scripture. Do you see the point that he's making, the distinction? He's going to set up for us, there's, we could do this with others, but, I, but these are, I think he did a good job of finding some of the fundamental uh, themes of Scripture that he's talking about. So he's, he's going to list out here three of these, of these major themes that run through the biblical narrative that if we, if we come to simply rest on these, eat, drink, and sleep, and breathe these, then our ministry to each other will be ministry of the Word of God. God's rebar. That's an interesting picture. So, um, Tripp's claim is this. I may have just said this. Let's see. If we think and therefore interact with others by walking along these three pieces of rebar, we'll find ourselves leading others toward Christ-likeness as we encourage, respond, comfort, share. Less and less will be the experience. We've all been there. We've been with someone in, in, a, in a difficult time and a year or two go by and we look back on what we said to them and we just go, that, that was exactly the opposite of what they needed to hear right then. If I had, if I had just been, been thinking uh, about my role more seriously as an instrument of God in this and not just as someone who wants to make someone smile or wants to tell them what they want to hear or doesn't really want to be involved in helping them with th- through what they're going. If I had been in this mindset, I would never have said that. You know, those are painful regrets that we, we can have. His point is that this, this goes such, so far in protecting us from finding ourselves in those places. So, any guesses? Well, never mind. Here's the first, uh, first piece of rebar, all right? Sovereignty. The sovereignty of God in all things. This flows well with the study that we just finished. Here's what he says. He says, uh, from the rise and fall of governments to tomorrow's weather to the exact location of every human being, the universe is under God's control. God's sovereignty is not only about power and position, but also about a plan. At At any moment in time, the right answer to the question, what is God doing, is accomplishing his plan. Now, we'll go back through each of these, but I just want to say here, 
Obviously, this does not mean that I answer everyone's question uh, of struggle, of why, with God's accomplishing this plan. It doesn't mean that I have to say that right then. But if I am thinking like that, don't you think that will flavor the words that come out of my mouth next in some very powerful ways? And they will always be ways that direct them toward the God of the Scriptures and not accidentally away. Uh, The second theme is grace. In all the drama of the story of redemption, one reality repeatedly bursts to the surface. We live in a world where there is grace to be found. God is not only sovereign, he is also abounding in grace. Now just think, before we go to the third one, real quickly, what what the Bible has said to us about grace. The grace of God. What has it done for us and in our lives? God's grace is a grace that covers sin. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the first thing that happened when we rebelled against God and had to live in our shame, God steps out and does not cast us into hell as, as we would have deserved immediately. He creates a covering to cover us, to cover our shame. Uh, From the beginning, this has been what God's grace has shown itself to do in the lives of sinful people. What a hope that is. God's grace teaches and enables. I've I've heard uh, um, Dennis say a a couple of times lately uh, that Titus 2, 11 through 14 is, I think he said it's his favorite passage of scripture. Um, And I I love that. that One of the years in the school when I was was, was uh, serving as chaplain. We, this was the theme passage for the whole year. And we spent the whole year just fleshing out the realities of Titus 2, 11 through 14. Can I read that? I'm going to read in the New American Standard, so it may be different from if you have the ESV. For the grace of God has appeared. And then you've got this list of things that the grace of God has done and is doing. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. There's so much in there. But did you hear what it said The the grace of God did not just save us. The grace of God teaches us. Knowledge of his grace, and that, like Tripp said, that we live in a world where there is grace to be found. That instructs us in tomorrow and in our thinking today. Uh, And third, uh, the grace of God. There's so much more we could put on this list, but I just put these three. Romans 12, the grace of God equips us to be useful in other people's lives. You remember Romans 12, 6 we just had up there. It said, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then it goes into that list. God's grace came to us. As a result, we've been equipped. And as a result, we're to use those gifts um, for for others. That whole list after that is others-focused. So the, the theme of sovereignty, the theme of grace, and we'll put all these up on screen in a minute as we close. Um, and then the theme of glory. Uh, I'm going to read uh, a story he gives here. I didn't want to put it on the screen, but uh, I, this is great. Having been a teacher, too, this is even better. So he talks about how in 1978, Paul Tripp was a kindergarten teacher. He had helped to uh, start a Christian school, and budget was low, and so for that first year, he was the kindergarten teacher. Paul Tripp, I wonder if he had that big old mustache. It was probably a very different color back then before he served as the kindergarten teacher. So he tells this story. He says, One Monday afternoon, the mother of one of my students asked if she could have a birthday party for her daughter in the classroom. The day came, and after the mother's preparation, we all entered the room. She had turned our little classroom into a birthday kingdom. The walls and tables were lavishly decorated. Multicolored streamers multicolored streamers hung from the ceiling, and a balloon within a balloon, I don't know what that 
how you do that. A balloon within a balloon was tied to the back of each chair. At each seat was a ribbon-tied bag of party favors. The only exception was the birthday girl, who was surrounded by a huge pile of beautifully wrapped gifts. All right. And then here's the next sentence. At the far end of the table sat Johnny. I don't know, we, uh, we, had a, we even had a joke at, at the school when we were talking about hypothetical situations of problems with students, we always used the name Johnny. I don't know why Johnny gets such a bad rap all the time, but it was true here. I'm guessing this, I don't know if this is the real name. At the far end of the table sat Johnny. Johnny kept doing the same thing over and over. He would look at his little bag of party favors, then at the birthday girl's mountain of gifts, fold his arms, stick out his lower lip, and let out a each time the look on his face got more ugly and his hump got more audible. Before long, he had become the center of attention and was well on his way to spoiling the party. <laughs> we, need, we need more mothers like this. Next mother. Um, then one of the mothers walked over and knelt beside him. She turned his chair so that Johnny was looking. <clears throat> she turned his chair so that Johnny was looking directly into her face. And she spoke these profound words. Johnny, it's not your party. <laughs> it's a, such a, uh, I'm going to remember that forever. It's a great example. Um, what do you think his point is there? What does sin do? Sin makes us glory robbers. We want, to be, we want to be the one on display. We want it to be our party. And it's wrong if it's not my party. He says, sin causes us to steal the story and rewrite it with ourselves as the lead and with our lives at center stage. But there is only one stage and it belongs to the Lord. Sin has made us glory robbers. And then listen to these lists of of consequences of this. We do not suffer well because suffering interferes with our glory. We do not find relationships easy because others compete with us for glory. We do not serve well because in our quest for glory, we want to be served. But the story of Scripture is the story of the Lord's glory. And then he he ends like this. He says, the story of Scripture calls me to an agenda that is bigger than myself. And so when we we see glory as a theme, we're thinking of of the only place where glory is properly due. We're talking about God's glory. And it's pretty obvious that that is a major theme throughout all of the Scriptures. So let's put all these up here just to to close. Oh, you were supposed to get to see that. that. I had that up there. Let me put these three up. Okay. And, and I've got just a, a summary statement from each one based on what we just saw. All right? So these are the themes that he's saying if we will live and breathe and think from the safe, sure ground of these themes of Scripture as we minister to each other in whatever capacity that looks like, it will point people toward the Lord. Sovereignty. Remember he said at any moment the right answer to what is God doing, is accomplishing his plan. Number two, grace. Because of God's grace, our relationships can be characterized by an economy of grace. And number three, glory. We are all called to an agenda that is bigger than ourselves. This is is terribly freeing for us. If we know the Lord, this is is the life that he is, is giving to us. He's transforming us into a a people who are consumed with his glory and not our own, and so are set free to be his instruments in each other's lives. Uh, I am a couple of minutes over. Any any comments or thoughts you'd like to share with everyone before we close? Uh, I think Dennis's question took it up. I think he took (laughs) 15 minutes or so with his question. You know, I need to stop saying that kind of thing. I'm good at expecting that, and then I somehow find a way to fill time. It's no good. Yeah, see? I've got good examples before me to follow. Any final thoughts? Let me pray and close this.
Lord, you, you are so good to us that uh, not only are these things true, and we can see, even in the places that we so need to grow, we can see the goodness of your plan in this. We, we feel a desire for more than what we have, have grabbed at for ourselves. And we ask you, Lord, to, to continue to grow us, to thank you for your patience uh, with us that, seems, that, that is, is, is without end. The more that we see of ourselves, the more we realize how much you have forgiven in Christ and how much you have uh, been willing to overlook. And it, it shows us how, how much more valuable Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was than we ever thought as we see more and more how much it atoned for. Lord, thank you for reminding us of these things throughout our lives, even through studies like this. And I pray that you would use, uh, you would use this study mightily among us to uh, conform us all to the image of Christ, ultimately for his sake, but also that we would see that this is for each other's sake as well. These are your ordained means. Give us great joy and zeal in living within them. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.